This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Good afternoon and good evening. It is the Matt McNeil Show coming to you on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota and WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. Good to be with you. Hello. Matt Patrick here today, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. How are you today there, Patrick? Uh, not doing too bad. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. Been busy. You know, one of the things... Um, I, I, for for the Chicago folks, people in the Twin Cities know this. For the Chicago folks, one of the things uh, we get ready for in the holidays. I've been really, really, really busy. Good attitude though. I don't. I, I'm not, it's a fun time of year. I'm enjoying myself this year. Uh, we get, uh, of course, uh, you know, the holidays come up, and it's it's kind of one of those things where I I've, I have worked in radio, and I worked at a radio station in Ames, Iowa, and I was down there, and the the delightful owner she used to say to us you can take christmas thanksgiving or new year's and that's it you know because she was such a fun boss oh god was she just anywho uh we we actually the news guy and i and it was between me that was the decision we had between me the news guy and the sports guy and it was funny because uh, the, the the sports guy loved New Year's Day bowls, so thank God he wanted New Year's Day off. He'd work he'd work Christmas Day, he'd work Thanksgiving Day, but he he wanted that off. So the news director and I were able to flip off uh, every once in a while, and I would take Thanksgiving one year, he'd take Christmas, I'd take Christmas the next year, he'd take you know Thanksgiving. That's how it worked. I've had jobs where I've been on the radio, and then I take some time off, and they they call in you know, a fill-in host. And uh, we've got some great fill-in hosts that do fill-in for me here uh, on, on the radio, and it's nice to have them with us. But it's the holidays. I, I don't feel good about forcing some guy to, you know, you know, leave their family and stuff like this and come in and work a shift. I No, I, you know, it, we don't want to do that. I've also taken inventory uh, when it comes to best-of shows. <laughs> I got maybe one or two. All right. It's not enough to take us through a week. So about six or seven years ago, one of the ideas I came up with was let's record a bunch of shows. That way we can take the time off. You get brand new content, brand new interviews that we haven't aired ever before. And yeah, win-win. I'm not making someone work. You're not subjected to a, a you know an insane amount of really crappy best of shows. Let's just be honest about it. And so I have been in the process of recording out shows, five brand new shows we're going to air over the holidays, brand new to you. And we look forward to this. Today I had, I, I'm, I'm not going to, 
I had two interviews today. Both had one thing in common. The only thing I'll say is Mystery Science Theater 3000. That's all I will say. Those interviews are coming up. Uh, I've got a guy uh, that from, from Ukraine who's in Ukraine. I'm going to be doing that interview coming on up here. I get to talk to the Penn Center, which is a phenomenal historical society. I got a lot of things coming up here. So I want to make sure you understand is when we get to the holidays, we got brand new content here. And starting next Friday, it's brand new to you shows running with the one or two best ofs in there. I mean, Christmas Day, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, brand new to you shows most of those days. We It's a little gift to you. You're welcome. You hope you enjoy it. Uh, and that is coming your way. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Uh, really briefly on the impeachment vote. What an abs- And once again, it wasn't a vote to impeach. It was a vote to actually op- open a formal inquiry into impeachment. When half the Republicans themselves can't even answer the question of what are we investigating him for again? And, and they're, they're big. Have you noticed, by the way, have you noticed how much they have gotten away from Hunter Biden's laptop? Have you noticed that that's not really an issue anymore? And I've, I've heard that basically because to take it to this level, you would subject it to actual investigation and it would show that this was a setup, that this was an absolute setup, that Rudy Giuliani was part of a setup to try to basically, you know, you know, get Hunter Biden and, and have you know, Joe Biden lose the election. And they don't want it. So all of a sudden, their big evidence all this year. All of a sudden, it doesn't exist anymore. Have you noticed that? Now they're focusing on what their whole argument is, is because Joe Biden lent some money to his son and his son repaid him. Somehow that means China controls the United States. (laughs) It's a bit of a reach. (laughs) And yesterday, watching the Senate Republicans, and some of them not exactly moderates in any capacity, say, I don't have the slightest idea what these people down in the House are voting for him, impeaching him for. So, yeah, it's Republicans, you're too stupid to get out of your own way. Do you just realize that, you know, and and I get it, you're Republican, you you went out to all the moderate, the, the, the Republicans serving in moderate districts across the country, and you said to them, okay, all you have to do is explain to the people that you just were, were looking for an investigation. You weren't looking to, to call him guilty. I just, just, you know, let's make sure we dot I's and cross T's. We're just doing due diligence. That's what they're probably going to say. As a matter of fact, that exact term, we were just doing due diligence. You didn't have any evidence of a crime, and yet you conducted a tribunal. That's what it is. And that's your billboard, Democrats across the country. If you are in a district that's a plus one or two D and it's got a Republican House member, they said, you you put up the billboard, Representative blank voted to have a tribunal against Joe Biden with no evidence and no crime. And scene. And scene. I was just doing due diligence. I mean, I, I could, we could open an investigation into anyone. At this point, let's investigate Patrick. I got some suspicions about you, Patrick. And I can confirm they are all true. And do we really need to air this laundry? I don't think so. (laughs) This has been one of those where you open the book. Yikes, close it. Close the book. We're good. All right. Have a nice day, Patrick. (laughs) You don't even want to look into us. I, I mean, sure, panda smuggling might sound bad. Might sound bad. Um. Panda's full of meth, you know, hey, you know, 
Yeah. Okay, not proud. Not proud. The meth pandas. No, I did not smuggle pandas, nor did I smuggle pandas full of meth. Just for the record, before anyone starts, and they're doing an investigation. But really, if you want to know the truth is, if they did come to me and say, we're going to do an investigation into you, that's pretty much more evidence than they've got on Joe Biden at this point. But sure, I guess we'll just waste the American taxpayers' dollars. Sure. Why not? 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Paul, we have a unified problem. It's called Wisconsin. Uh, yeah. Wisconsin, I, I am not going to deny, you know, and I, I talked about this earlier this week. I, I talked about how in 2010, the Republicans tried to do the same thing that they did in Wisconsin here. They basically tried to to basically, you know, get the 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 trifecta in the state. And they ran uh, Tom Emmer, who's now a House rep, as the governor candidate, and it did not go well. But really, the only difference between Wisconsin and Minnesota was there was a third-party candidate that basically drew enough votes away from Emmer that basically Mark Dayton won that election. That was that was his first of his terms as governor of the state. Republicans had dreams of doing the same exact thing they did in Wisconsin and Minnesota, and that was quickly gerrymandering the state to where, you know, you could have 70 percent of the state vote Democrat, but the majority of the state and the House districts would all be Republican. You've seen the stories. I mean, these are these are not stories. I mean, they they go in with a surgical knife to to cut out apartment buildings and put them in one district, load up one district as the one Democratic district. And that's it. That's kind of how they do things. We, we, we can talk about that all day long. We can talk about how, you know, the, the Republicans um, in the state, you know, when, when the Supreme Court justice this last election uh, elected a, a, a Democrat who's basically going to help undo probably a lot of the damage there, that Robin Voss, the speaker who is basically Graham Poobah jackass in Wisconsin, and tell him I said that. Hey, Robin, you're a jackass, and you're not really Christian either. No, seriously. Have I got a quote for you that would basically – Jesus would not be on your side, dude. I'm just going to be honest with you. I got that coming up here in just a little bit. But when he tried to find a way to impeach her just for being elected, how dare you? When Justice – former Justice Prosser – now, let me remind you who exactly Prosser is – Prosser is the Wisconsin Supreme Court justice who choked another Supreme Court justice. I disagree with you. I'm going to choke you. Ah, chokey, chokey, chokey. Ah. Seriously. Prosser choked another person. This is not exactly Mr. Calm and even course. And even he came back to Voss and said, dude, you cannot do this. You're only doing it because you lost the election. You got to deal with the, the the consequences, and so it, since that point, and that was not just Prosser. There was another far right justice who was like, "No, no, 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 no! You don't just impeach someone just because they won an election." And so they they pulled back from that. I will say though that it is disappointing to look at Wisconsin because in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Democratic Party has not done themselves any favors. I was deeply, deeply, deeply disappointed 
in the Wisconsin Democrats last year when I discovered they didn't even run candidates in two House races, U.S. House races. They didn't even run candidates in those races. Do you know what an absolute nightmare you create for your own party to try to take control of squat when you do that? You run candidates in every single race, even the plus 60R race. You run a candidate there, not only because it's not fair to the public to not give them a choice in an election, but at the same time, if they have to spend some money and time in that district, well, guess what? That helps you in other districts and more moderate, more toss-up districts. The reason why in Minnesota we won the trifecta here was because we had good Democratic candidates in deep red districts that forced the Republicans to have to spend time and money in those districts. And that meant the moderate districts opened up. I have a big salute to any Democrat that runs in a real red district because you are doing us a favor. I salute you. They didn't even run two U.S. Senate House candidates. Two House candidates. They didn't, which basically means that entire district became almost impossible for any Democrat to win in that district. They are not doing themselves any favors, especially when it comes down to trying to stand up for what is right and what is good. And the reality is is that to a point, this latest debacle from Wisconsin is a good portion of it's on the Republicans, but some of it's on the supposed good guys as well. I'll talk about that when I come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Thursday. Neil Show for your Thursday, 952 946 9529 On to Wisconsin. <sighs> you guys got to clean that stuff up, man. You get Democrats, that is that is a state that I, you know, I understand you, you think to yourself, oh, we can't win here. I honestly think Ron Johnson won another term because they're just the Democratic Party or they're just, they didn't understand statewide strategy. I just, it's... Frustrating. But then there's this. And it, what's, what's interesting about this is, and I'll get back to this, is my, my, my daughter, my youngest daughter, just toured the University of Wisconsin. So, yeah, this one, I might have to have a talk with her. In a surprising, a surprising about face, the University of Wisconsin Regents approved a deal on Wednesday evening with, with Republican legislators to limit diversity positions at the system's two dozen campuses in exchange for money to cover staff raises and construction projects. Basically, they blackmailed them. Uh, but they, you know, and to be honest with you, the Regents went along with it. Uh, I'm going to read you a quote here from, you know, lead jackass of the Republican Party in Wisconsin, Robin Voss. And then I'm going to take some time here to break down exactly this story. When I when I read this quote, I was just like, how do you allow a guy like this to win? Assembly Republican Speaker Robin the Jackass Voss, who brokered the deal with the University of Wisconsin President Jay Rothman, tweeted that the plan is the first step in continuing the GOP effort to, quote, to eliminate these cancerous DEI diversity, equity, and inclusion practices on UW campuses. Cancerous diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
Now, I said earlier that a man who claims to be a religious man, I don't think he's read the Bible. <laughs> I think, I mean, he's clearly, his Bible does not have the Gospel of Matthew in it, or most of the stories of, of Jesus himself. Now, once again, disclaimer on religious talk. You do or don't do whatever it is you do or don't want to do. I'm Christian. And it in, angers me to no end to people, the Republicans, who claim to be as Christian as they are and the most Christian-y Christians that ever existed are the least Christian people who have ever existed. <laughs> well, maybe not ever, but you're, you're not exactly on the top half of the margin, and the median here, okay? Cancerous diversity. He feels as if diversity is cancerous. Equity, not advancement, just equity. Equity, people being treated equal, is cancerous. Inclusion. Welcoming in all people, or as you know, a certain book says, welcoming in strangers from strange lands, or preaching to the meekest of us all, cancerous, his term. The speaker basically says, and let's just unpack this. The clear implication is this is a white world and this is the white people talking. And I'm sure, I'm sure that pathetic jackass of a human being that's Robin Voss is probably sitting there saying, how dare you? How dare you say I'm against us? Dude, I'm not saying it. You are. You are the guy out there saying diversity is evil. Equity is evil. Inclusion is evil. How dare you, man? What kind of evil human being are you? And you want to know the truth is, I mean, he probably, if, if he ever does hear this, he's probably going to use it for a self-gratification tape. And the reason why is because he loves the fact that he's like this. You tell me how I'm supposed to take that statement outside of this is white people world and white people are, are which is hilarious. If, if you think white people are the most persecuted. Holy God. I always love when white people bring in the one you know, individual who's Caucasian, who has truly had a hard time, who is working two jobs and, and, and has a hard time affording things and, and acting like he just he didn't get promoted because they had to promote someone else. They, of course, leave out a lot of things like the guy might be divorced three times and, you know, you know he's, he's failed. He might have a addiction issues or something like this that might be hampering his success. But they leave that out because they just want to make sure it is there. And as they put this person out there as their example of white people being persecuted, what's standing behind them are a bunch of rich, wealthy white people who have never been burdened a day of their freaking life, who have had a good portion of their life handed to them, and acting as if she, he's with us. Please. Please. You guys, you, you, you're, you, you can't help yourself. You're just so, so happy and proud of what you have done. Stopping any kind of equity, equity, equity. If basically all you're doing is making sure that everyone gets a piece of the same pie, that's not, you're not losing any pie. You still get pie. Do you understand that? You still get your pie. Just everyone else gets pie too. And that idea, that concept is so infuriating for the massive jackass that is Robin Voss. 
that he has to fight it and it will destroy his own state university, what used to be a beacon of pride in that state, and make it worse because, ha, politics. Jesus would not like you, dude. Inclusion, welcoming in the people from the margins, which good Christians are supposed to do there, Robin. And nope, you don't do that either. And embracing diversity, well, the reality is, is we live in a diverse world, man. And I get it. You don't want it. You want you want to put forward that white farmer with European heritage. That's the that's the real salt of the earth. No one else. As you expect people to work for less than a livable wage and build buildings and you know do landscaping and gardening and cook your food and wash your dishes. Those people don't matter. Because your narrative is only that white people matter. You pathetic jackass. God, you're pathetic, man. I want to go once again, quote, this is this is not me. I don't I'm not having to jump nine or ten lily pads here to get to the other side of the pond. Quote, to eliminate these cancerous DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion practices on UW campuses. Cancerous. Equity is cancerous to him. Inclusion is cancerous to him. Diversity is cancerous to him. There is a cancer in Wisconsin. Holy God, it's a stage three tumor, dude. It's you, Robin Voss. It's your Republican Party. And you keep ruining that state making it worse and worse and worse. You guys used to have one of the best education systems. You tumbled on the charts there. You used to have, be one of the healthiest states in the country. You've been tumbling down the charts there. Oh, sure, for you and your wealthy white guys, dude, yeah, you're, you're fine. You know, your private schools are, you know, you're probably getting vouchers in Wisconsin for your kids to go to pr- private school, taxpayer paid. It's disgusting. I got more on this when I come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Broadcasting on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk and AM 950, the Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. So, uh, yeah, I could sit here all day long and talk about the insanely large jackass Robin Voss. But instead, I have to also look at the other side of this equation because it's not just Voss. Sure, he bullied and blackmailed, but the regents as well caved. And what the regents just did is deeply disturbing. Democratic Governor Tony Evers issued a lengthy statement after the vote saying the regent's decision had left him disappointed and frustrated. He accused Voss of negotiating by bullying, saying the entire affair was motivated by his disdain for public education at every level. The governor promised that he would make damn sure the campuses work for everyone. The regents passed the plan 11 to 6 during a video conference, capping an ugly five-day episode. The board had previously rejected the deal 9-8 on Saturday amid complaints from Democrats that it would sell out minority and LGBTQ plus students and faculty, which it did. I want to make sure we understand this. The University of Wisconsin regents, whose whole goal is to make a quality college experience 
basically said, well, for pay and for building build, for building funds, we will sell out the minority and LGBTQ plus community. We will do this. We will make sure that they, they know that it's, as Robin Voss is clearly implying, whites are the priority. That's it. And Robin, you tell me why, if, 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 if I'm wrong here, why am I wrong? Because you're the guy that's against equality and inclusion and diversity. You're the one that's proudly bragging about stopping that. So you must be just for white power sort of stuff over there, Robin. Or else, I mean, you can explain it to us how you are for diversity, but you're against diversity at the same time. You're for inclusion, but you're against inclusion at the same time. You're for equality, but you're against equality at the same time. I don't know. I mean, you, 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 it seems, I don't think you're fooling anybody there. Maybe JCPenney has a white sale going on for you. All right, needless to say. After a closed-door regents meeting Tuesday led by Rothman, three regents who initially opposed the proposal voted for it Wednesday, including Karen Walsh, Amy Bloomfield Bogust, and Jennifer Stanton. Staten, rather, Staten. They said ahead of Wednesday's vote that they opposed the plan at first because it needed more deliberation. And since that they had that time to review it, discuss the deal, they said. So why are we voting again? Voting again? It was clear Saturday the board did not have sufficient time to discuss this document. Walsh said, as the, one of the people that changed her vote, Republican Chris Kapenga, president of the state Senate, had threatened not to confirm regents who voted against the deal. Blackmail. Outright blackmail. Bogus is the only one who flipped who is unconfirmed. Regents who vote. And by the way, I'm going to guarantee you, you're probably not going to get confirmed anyway. They, they, should, they initially voted against it. We can't have them on the UW regents. <laughs> Live coverage from the Wisconsin Senate right there. <laughs> Where's my banjo? <sighs> hey, Wisconsin, you want me to stop? You stop, okay? Okay, you want me to stop? You stop. Uh, regents who voted against the proposal uh, lamented that making financial decisions outside the state budget process sets a dangerous precedent. They question what concessions Republicans would demand next in exchange for dollars. The very premise of this deal is a non-starter, said Angela Adams, who voted against the plan twice. I did not join this board to be thrust into political gamesmanship. Supporting DEI on campus is not something we should be exchanging, in my opinion, for dollars. And by the way, do not call it DEI. Call it what it is, supporting diversity, equality, and inclusion. Because DEI is a quick little abbreviation, and they can you woke that. You know, No, they are against diversity, equal, equity, and inclusion. That's what they're against. The deal supporters said campuses will remain committed to promoting diversity, but the same time the system needs money to move forward to continue giving students opportunities. The, the supporters saying, even though they're getting rid of diversity, equality, and inclusion, uh, don't worry, it's not going to change anything. Sure, sure. Politics is how the sausage is made, said Bob Atwell, who voted for the deal on Saturday and again on Wednesday. Yeah, that sausage is the kids who are, you know, minorities and LGBTQIA+. Plus community. They're Bob. So stop bragging about your sausage making. The state budget that Republicans approved in Evers signed last summer called for a 6% raise for some 34,000 university employees over the next two years. But Voss refused to allow the GOP controlled legislator employment committee to release the money and attempt to force the regions to reduce the number of positions that work on diversity, equity, and inclusion projects. So I want to make sure we understand this. They passed a budget. They agreed on the budget. And Voss came back in around the massive jackass that is Robin Voss. 
And by the way, when you see him in the city streets of Madison or uh, wherever he is from, I can't remember the, the city off the top of my head. But when you see him, make sure you call him out by his name. Hey, massive jackass Robin Voss. It's the massive jackass Robin Voss. Think about what he just did here. He works with Evers to pass a bill and then does an end around and basically says we're not going to release the money so that they have to negotiate again. Voss has argued that such efforts only produce, produce division. It makes white people who have had an advantage realize, hey, I've had an advantage. Maybe everyone else should have the advantage too. Same thing. This dispute reflects a broader culture battle over college diversity initiatives playing out across the country. Evers has leveled intense criticism at Voss and Republicans for withholding the funding and raises. He filed a lawsuit with the Wisconsin Supreme Court on October, arguing that lawmakers had overstepped their authority to block the money. The deal regions approved for And you should have waited for that because I'm pretty sure the Supreme Court would have ruled on your side. The deal regions approved calls for lawmakers to release the money, but the raises and various campus construction projects, including $200 million for new engineering building in the system's flagship campus in Madison. The regions, in turn, will freeze hiring of diversity positions through 2026 and shift at least 43 current diversity positions to focus on student success. How dare you guys? Yeah, you, you want my daughter to go to your campus? Oh, the hell with that. <laughs> my kid's not going to Wisconsin. Dude, no, no. My daughter is white. I don't want her going there because you know what the world's going to be? It's going to be diverse. It's going to be inclusive. It's, 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 it's going to have um, you know, equity. That's what the world is going to be. And you guys are just an ancient dinosaur that hopefully someday will soon be petrified in rock. Matt Wishnell's dead. No, I made an, I made an a, 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 you know, analogy. No, this is, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. And by the way, one of the things I want to make sure we understand about the jackass Robin Voss, there isn't going to be a shredding machine silent for days, for weeks, for months. The day he finally loses control and has to hand the the gavel over, he will, he will basically, they will be burning documents. They'll be burning things. They'll be throwing every computer hard drive they can find. They will do everything in their power to hide everything that they did behind the scenes. Absolutely. Rothman told reporters after the vote the deal was a necessary compromise in a state with a Republican-controlled legislature and a Democratic governor. No, you see, listen here, you fool. They had a deal. Then the Republicans double-crossed the deal. And you went with the double-cross. It's like I said, this is a self, partially a self-induced wound. You should have gone with, with, with the, the governor, and you should have gone, gone to the Supreme Court. Because I guarantee you they would have probably ruled, hey, guess what? You can't do this. Associated Students of Madison, UW Madison student government group said it was disheartened by the vote Wednesday would not would hold accountable UW officials who promised diversity efforts would continue. Democrats spent Wednesday trying to persuade regions to reject the deal again. This deal is part of the systemic racist deal and it's discriminatory, Drake said. This is Representative Dora Drake, chair of the Legislature's Black Caucus. It's it basically, once again, it, they're against the idea of diversity equity and inclusion and the reason why is because they know that being white comes with advantages 
in this country. And they don't want to give that up. Now, once again, it's not putting anyone on a pedestal higher than anyone else. It's just making sure an equal tide raises all boats. So everybody gets the options. And you see is that, that for Republicans in Wisconsin is too far. That. She provided uh, reporters with a memo from the legislators' attorneys that concluded that the region's closed-door meeting on Tuesday may have violated the state's open meeting law because the meeting's notice was too vague. She asked Attorney General Josh Call and District Attorney uh, to investigate. Um, you guys caved. And once again, I, I know a few I – mean, I know Chicago's got some politicians. Illinois has got some politicians that have got the, 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 the galvanized steel spines. I know Minnesota. I know a lot of politicians that if the Republicans tried that here in the state of Minnesota, they would over my dead body. But in Wisconsin, all right, don't kick more sand in our face. I have commented multiple times on Generation Z and how Generation Z – I think is going to be the generation that finally changes a lot of this stuff that ends the age of greed. It ends the people who think equality and diversity and inclusion are evil. Generation Z. And I guarantee you generation Z could do something about this tomorrow that would get every Republican in the state of Wisconsin scrambling back to Madison to undo this and release the funds and say, no problem. Now, I want to be very clear here. I'm about to say, suggest something here that I do not want anyone to think that I'm trying to speak for anyone that I cannot speak for. I am not black. I am white. I am not a minority. I am white. I am not a woman. I am white. I am not LGBTQIA+. I'm heterosexual. Sis. So here I am. I'm going to make a suggestion, and I can tell you right now, and this doesn't just go for Wisconsin. This goes for all these states, Florida, Texas, where all this is going on. But I don't want it to seem like I'm I'm skipping past the consequences of doing something like this. I, I understand it's really easy for me to sit in a studio here in the Twin Cities and say something like this while at the same time asking Generation Z to step up. But here's the deal. If every minority student who's an athlete at Wisconsin opted for a transfer portal tomorrow and saying, you know what? We're not going to be someplace where equity, diversity, and inclusion are evil words. We're going to go to another state where they are part of the curriculum, diversity, equity, and inclusion. If the University of Wisconsin's football team and basketball teams, and other sports teams, all of a sudden became a Sahara desert of no one there outside of the whitest of white kids. Then they plummet in the polls. They plummet in the rankings. If all of a sudden they don't have the powerhouse teams that they have had, Think about these Republicans. These are Republicans who are, who are going to their country clubs. They're going to their soirees, and they're sitting there and, you know, n- n- you know, tinkering their drink glasses with each other. 
what if all of a sudden they went to these little soirees and all of a sudden it was a bunch of their buddies of the white Republican ilk saying, wait a minute here. What do you mean the, the half the basketball team is leaving? What do you mean half the football team is leaving? What, what do you mean they're going to be going? You, you know what this is going to do? I've got season tickets, man. They're going to be, they're not going to win the, 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 the Paul Bunyan's acts for years. What are, you, what are you talking about? Man, you get back there and you undo this, man. It's a sad reality. It's a sad reality. But if the threat to the sports teams was real, these Republicans would back off their demands tomorrow. Now, I'm not going to miss the the thing I've said in the first place. It's really easy for me to suggest that. I would say that for most starters on these Division I teams, uh, if you hit the transfer portal, you probably would find another Division I team that would pick you up pretty quickly. As well as also, I, I you know, if you're playing Division One sports, you're going to find, you know, I guarantee you someone, some school would pick you up. I guarantee you some school would pick you up. But at the same time, that's a big if, and I can understand the hesitancy for this. You get there, you're at this, you're at the big, the big show, you don't want to necessarily walk away from it. But this might be the only way to get these clowns to actually start trying to reflect the society that we're becoming not drag us back to the society that we used to be in the 1950s. Maybe, just maybe. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show. It is the Matt McNeil Show for your Thursday. Tell Rob and I said hi. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Hey, I picked on Wisconsin too much to get it today. Let me go to this next story here. And where is this one from? Oh, son of a... Wisconsin! <laughs> oh, no. Like I said, Chicago and Minneapolis, St. Paul, we got this problem here. We got a, something going. Ugh. School administrators in Wisconsin are considering changes to their book banning policy. (laughs) Welcome to America in uh, the 2020s. After one parent requested 444 titles be removed from the library. Okay. Jason Tadlock, superintendent of the Elkhorn Area School District, said the same parent asked on November 30th that 163 books at the Elkhorn Middle School and 281 books at the high school be removed. Mind you, I'm going to guess this person hasn't read a single one of those books, or maybe I'm going to guess maybe at most five or ten, maybe at most. The reality is is they've this this has all the the telltale signs of some guy that was saw a list on a web page and these books need to go <laughs> that sort of thing. The books uh, were taken out of circulation per the district policy and are being reviewed by school principals, reported the Wisconsin Public Radio. To be frank, we were probably never anticipated somebody bringing forth a challenge that would create such a disruption in the school environment, Tadlock said. This takes a lot of time and effort, and I'll be honest, there is a certain amount of frustration, you think? Principals are evaluating the books for low-grade appropriateness, common sense media, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And Tadlock said he doesn't anticipate any of them would be banned by the district and some have already been put back on the shelves. We might have to age restriction based on the books, meaning they might be a parent's permission, Tadlock said, but I don't think any of the books will be removed from circulation. 
Some of the challenge books include Anna Karenna by Leo Tolstoy, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn by Betty Smith, and Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. You know, nothing important. I don't know if there's been a challenge of this size in the entire nation, Tadlock said. We'll look in to make sure this is more practical in the future. Eh, good idea. And make sure whoever this jackass is, maybe, you know, take their complaint with a grain of salt, knowing it's coming probably not from anyone in Wisconsin, but my guess is the Moms for Liberty type of group someplace else in the country. The... There is an element of this book banning which I find to be – as Republicans sit there and scream, Ye, we want control of what's going on in our classrooms. You know how they do that? How they they sit there and they vilify teachers and act like teachers are, are working against them. I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not too familiarized with the Chicago uh, education system in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, in Minnesota as a whole, you know, pretty much every school has an option. If you, you, you go to school on the, the first day, you get the syllabus. The teacher will tell you everything they're going to talk about in the class. You can look it over. They even have, hey, by the way, if there's something on this list that you find objectionable, we have no problem in accommodating your objection. We will work around it and make sure that there's an alternative learning plan put to place. Done. Done. It's kind of hard to think that you can actually get traction with it when you have that kind of argument. That's why when I hear people scream about schools need to be reined in, I was like, I don't think you've been into a school recently. And I don't. I don't think the vast majority of the people who complain about schools have actually been in a school recently because, at least here in Minnesota, most of the stuff that they say is absolute garbage. I'm going to guess a good chunk of it's the same way for Illinois. Chicago Metroplex. These are the same people that demand that as parents they have control. But when they do a book ban, isn't that the complete opposite? Isn't that one parent dictating how the entire rest of their school can and cannot read a book? Isn't that the isn't that the 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 the, the textbook definition of no parental control. Absolutely. It's it's your standard Republican operating procedure to complain about something and accuse them of doing something that you yourself want to do. They go on out there and and they 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 basically uh, accuse uh, the other side of trying to get between the the doctors and their patients and then they can't pass anti-abortion regulations fast enough. <laughs> and they want to they want to kill a woman down in Texas. They want to kill her. Yeah, you, you're not going to live. We've do, we, we we consulted a, a the you know a, a website and said you know what we don't think you're sick enough. That's what they do. Here in this case, we want to have parental control over the education system. That a parent should be able to pick and choose what kind of education they have. Which once again. Pretty much most public schools, at least here in Minnesota, and I'm going to guess in Illinois, have as an option. But yet what you get with the book bans is this idea that one person is going to be able to dictate what books you can and cannot read in a school. That is the polar opposite of parental control. (sighs) 
we have going to we're, we're going to you know get into the end of this this year and start the 2024 and that election cycle is going to be nasty because a lot of this has to do with the idea of a culture war but not the one the republicans want because once again i'm going to go back to what i just said republicans scream there's a culture war going on as they themselves are trying to impose their culture war on everyone else. And so they scream that the other side's doing this, so you've got to do our side far more extreme. And this is only going to get worse. we got a fight on our hands. We are only trying to save democracy itself. Heaven forbid. And you had better be prepared because this lunacy is out there. And you got to be able to look through and you see a guy like this trying to ban a bunch of books and say, you're not banning books. You're telling every other parent what books their kid can and cannot read. And that's all they're doing. Hone your arguments. Be prepared to fight. Be prepared for an ar- Be prepared for stupidity and belligerence because that is the Republican Party today. All right. All right. Chicago, have a good one. Minneapolis-St. Paul, Hour 2 up next. Hour number two of the show here. Matt Patrick, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Patrick, I want to point out, it is December 14th in Minneapolis-St. Paul. I am wearing shorts and sandals. Oh, my. Yes, it is 50 – I think the high temperature, average temperature for today is like 29. It's 52 or 53 when I came in today. It's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. It's, you know, we've kind of broken a few things okay. collectively. I just think about the people who are doing those ice palaces and stuff like that. How is that even staying anywhere close to being together at this point if you're getting this, if it's getting this warm during the day? Uh, you know, we have an entire economy based on the winter in Minnesota. Uh, losing that is not a good thing. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. We have, of course, uh, changed the lineup a little bit in the evening here. Rick Smith is kind enough to join us now as he is on the air with us in the evening, 8 p.m. right here on AM 950. Rick Smith, kind enough to join us. Hey, Rick. Matt, how are you today? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I am fabulous. Looking forward to vacation. Looking forward to uh, some 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 warmer weather than fifty two. But wow, Minnesota fifty two in December. Wow. Okay, so let me tell you a funny story. My dad was up. He lived up in the north on the Iron Range up there. And one year I was up there in December, and it was like thirty six and foggy, and the snow was melting. And my dad almost looked like he was about to cry. He goes, "This is so broken; it's not even right." I mean, in northern Minnesota, it should be really cold at this time, and it's just not even close anymore. Yeah, I, again, you know, something is seriously broken, and we're and our folks in Washington are going to continue to make sure that it continues to be broken. <laughs> Until everyone, then all of a sudden, when everyone's, sure, you want to play the blame game now that we're all eating each other, but, you know, come on, let's, I'm for solutions. Okay, great. Uh, yo, let's talk a little bit briefly here. Uh, you, you changed the show around a little bit. What, what's the whole plan on that? Well, we wanted to get out and we wanted to do more uh, on-the-ground stuff. We wanted to get out and, and travel a little bit more in the new year. So the idea was we're going to lean heavily into the TV show and, and video, 
but also to recording and being able to be away from the studio. As you know, it's it's kind of hard to, to be on the road and, and do a live talk show, so we decided that this year we were going to give it a shot and, and lean heavily into uh, getting out and talking to people and telling stories and, and you know, educating, uh, inoculating, and activating voters because this upcoming election, uh, kind of a big freaking deal. No, and, and I think that the game plan is very solid. I mean, I'll give you a great point up in up in Brainerd, Minnesota. So a small town thing, but the grocery store workers up there are all going to go on strike because they're not getting paid. Now, this is a little bit of a story here in the metro area, but it's really not a story anywhere else. By getting out there into the public, you're able to find these stories and give them the, the, the coverage that they need. Yeah, well, we want to talk about things that matter to working people. And what we found is, look, you know, when you're doing a, a, day, a daily talk show, you're on the hamster wheel. So you're you're focused on the story that happened today, you know, um, you know, you know what what what's everybody talking about today? I I want to take a step back from that, and and start looking at big picture stuff. Uh, start looking at you know how did we get into the mess we're in? How is it that President Biden, who has done I think an incredible job of ushering us out of of pandemic era kind of of uh, of, of policy into prosperity? Look. Uh, Donald Trump earlier this month in Iowa said, you know, Biden's going to lead us into a depression. And yet today the Dow Jones <laughs> hit an all-time high. But here's the thing. All you're going to hear, and I had people to, you know, email me, say, Biden's going to lead us into depression. Even though this has happened, we don't have the, the megaphone, the, we don't have the platforms, we don't have the messaging to get out and share this. And this is why I think Biden's approval ratings are so are so low, because every day you keep hearing this assault on, on the economy's horrible, things are bad, it's all Biden's fault. Except when something goes good, something goes right, something is pointing in the right direction, well... You know, not so much. Well, oh, no, that that wasn't Biden that got the stock market. That was the Fed. Okay. Yeah. yeah that, all right. I see it. I, I, you know, I will say that it, it, it is important as we're out there, you know, hammering away. I will make this point because uh, I've been looking at polling a lot. Polls today just do not register people no. credibly under the age of 35. And they just don't. And this Generation Z, they're going to change a lot of things. And and I think and you know it's funny because they'll still put out polls that that clearly don't seem to match the sentiment I'm seeing, but yet you know they and at the end of it they kind of try to do a mulligan by saying yeah by the way these last few years the polling's been off because Generation Z hasn't been really registered that much late millennials early Generation Z I, I think that the reality is is that Biden's doing a lot better than people are saying it just is you know, th- there's no way I think the idea of traditional polling is is falling apart because. It, it's not like you can just call people's phones anymore and just yeah. get them to get a, a solid demographic breakdown. Well, but here's the thing. I mean, we still got to go out there and tell the story that this yep. guy's this guy's killing it. Yep. I mean, you know, for me, the big the biggest thing, and this is this is one of those hard to understand, hard to grasp kind of things because you're using scary words. Um, you know, the idea that he is moving us away from the last forty years of neoliberalism. The fact that he's moving us away from what got us as a country into the mess that we're in uh, is a big, huge, transformational deal that in 20, 30 years, we're going to look back and go, this guy was one of the best presidents because he's put us in the right direction, talking about investing in infrastructure, reshoring manufacturing, and, and a lot of the stuff that's coming out of, out of the NLRB and the Department of Labor, stuff that, well, the mainstream corporate-controlled for-profit media 
never really want you to hear or understand. They want you to get stuck in the narrative that his polling numbers are bad, Matt. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a modern-day comparison. Back in 2010, they, the, the, the Republicans ran and with media and control convinced people that Obamacare was a horrible thing, horrible thing. And the second all of a sudden Republicans went across the board, pretty much within a month, everyone was like, boy, Obamacare wasn't that bad. As a matter of fact, that should have been a signature piece of legislation. But unfortunately, <laughs> too, many Republi- or too many Democrats bought the Republicans' talking points and ran away from what should have been their champion cause, champion cause for the next three decades. Instead, they basically ended up torpedoing themselves for the last 10 years. Yeah, but here's the thing. Obamacare was a horrible failure. It was terrible. But the Affordable Care Act was ah, fabulous. That was that. Uh, whoever did that. Now, now we're talking. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Rick, uh, the the OK, I've, uh, Dean Phillips. Uh, he is my house rep, by the way, that, with redistricting. <laughs> he began. I was with Ilhan Omar. Now I'm with Dean Phillips. Are we gonna Are we gonna fight over who has the worst representative? Because my my representative Scott is Scott. Pardon me, Perry. Oh, is oh, is he? Oh no, you you win. You, you win. It's like, uh, hey, I mean, I you know, Dean is. I, I don't know where Dean's going, but he's not Perry. Uh, you know, I, I will say that. But okay, I said this when he said he was going to try to run. If you're going to win the Democratic nomination, you need the union vote. Correct. I don't. I just do not see any way in the world that Dean Phillips was going to be able to pry the union vote away from Joe Biden. You've not seen any movement at all when you talk talking to the unions. You're not seeing all of a sudden people saying, "Hey, I got. I'm interested more in this Dean Phillips guy." It's pretty much they're all solid Biden voters, right? Yeah, I mean, you're, I don't see anybody going. Gee, I'm in for Dean Phillips. Uh, I see people going. I see the Democratic. Uh, machinery moving Biden along. I see my union brothers and sisters going, look, here's a guy who walked on the picket line. Yep. Here's a guy who put on Obama's comfortable shoes and found a picket line to walk on. That is a huge, huge deal. But more importantly, you know, to, for, to me, that's it's a, it's, a, it's a nice thing that he walked on the picket line. For me, it's who he put in charge of the NLRB, Jennifer Abruzzo. It's who's at the Department of Labor, uh, uh, Julie Hsu. Uh, there are so many things that he has done that can help working people by putting, oh, I don't know, people into positions of power who actually know what they're doing and want those agencies to work for working people. That is a huge deal. I mean, when you stop and you think about it, the Department of Labor, you know, who were Trump's choices? If you remember, the first guy that they wanted to bring out was a guy named Andy Pudzer. And you know who Andy was? He was the CEO of Carl's Jr., his great idea was to do away with all employees and have an automated kiosk restaurant so you'd have to deal with those pesky minimum wages. Mm. And when he didn't get it, they went to Antonin Scalia's son, Eugene, who was a corporate lawyer, in charge of the Department of Labor. What do you think you were going to get for working people out of people like that? You know, you bring that up, and that's one of the great things about Biden that I like, is that he's reestablished that you put people into place, and Obama did the same thing to a point, you put people in place that are experts in there, and you can look at his entire cabinet and and a lot of the positions he's placed in the government, there are distinctly a lot of great people there that are the perfect person to have yeah. in that role. And Absolutely. as you said, it's it's not it's not any kind of a you know a, you know kind of you know kind of a nepotism sort of thing that you're getting. It's it's actual real you know real results, and you can see how a government works. I mean, you brought up the stock market. We can talk about the unemployment rate. The government works. The country works when you have people in place that are competent and can run it. No, oh, no, no. Even even more than this. Even more than than that. And that's important. 
but the big the big thing is people who want government to work, people who believe in the power of government to make lives better, the people who believe that when we all collectively come together, we can do great things. Uh, I, again, we keep voting for, uh, well, some people keep voting for Republicans who tell us government is broken, government is bad, government can't do anything, and then they set out to do exactly what the House of Representatives has done or not done uh, over the last year plus, and that is gridlock, destruction, nothing for working people getting done. And, you know, the rich people are happy because status quo benefits them, lines their pockets, makes sure that uh, none of those things that you and me and our families need get done. You know, uh, like the child tax credit, that didn't get renewed. Why? Republicans didn't want it. And they're never going to pay a price for it because there aren't enough Matt McNeils out there saying, hey, this was a bad idea. Republicans did this. Republicans hate working people. Look at what they did. They hate children, too, evidently. Look at what they did. Well, they, and, and you're spot on, and we need more Rick Smiths out there. Rick Smith, of course, joining us 8 o'clock weeknights right here on AM 950. So I want to bring up something that uh, just – it's a union issue. It's a labor issue. Uh, one thing that's it's, – it's been hitting here in Minnesota because there's been the Washington Post expose – on Bemidji in the post office up there. DeJoy, when he came in as the postmaster general, I think his initial plan was to kill the post office, but it became realiza- the realization is you really can't do that. There's just too many people that need mail, and these private companies were just not going to deliver mail to rural areas because it's not cost effective. So they, they changed the plan, and the plan now seems to be to basically sell out the postal workers turn them into delivery people for private corporations and in turn run them ragged. Some of these, out, especially in these like a Bemidji, which is up in the northwestern part of the state, it is the main hub up there, but it's kind of all by itself because they're de- delivering all these packages for Amazon and for UPS and all these other delivery services. They basically can't get the mail delivered. And in some places, mail is not even getting delivered, but once every two or three days because they're constantly delivering Private companies' packages because DeJoy has sold out the postal workers for basically the, 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 the private companies. Well, I mean, privatization was always the goal of, of the Postal Service. And look, I still believe it is. I believe, you know, they, they want it to be the private carrier of Amazon. Uh, and and this, is, this is part of that. This is part of getting us used to not getting our mail, uh, normalizing the fact that, you know, it, it's going to take a while. The Postal Service doesn't run really efficiently because they, they got rid of a bunch of people. They didn't hire enough seasonal people. So if you're wondering why your Christmas present is going to be a little bit late, that's a big part of it. If you're wondering why that Christmas card's not coming, that's, that's really a big part of it. But this, again, is when you put someone in charge of, of an agency that doesn't believe in its mission, which is to ensure that every person in every home in every part of this country gets their mail, uh, what, do you, what do you expect, Matt? I mean, this, again, these are people who do not believe in what they're doing. Well, and, and it, it, it's, it really is pretty atrocious. You want to you know a reason, one of the things you can tell the, the Postal Service is getting mismanaged? They've run out of stamps. <laughs> the yeah. holiday stamps. They ran out of holiday. How do you run out of holiday stamps? You can sell them next year, you idiots. I, I mean, it just, it, it just, it is amazing to me how badly he's run. But once again, this is one of the things, and we've seen this with what? Jails, hospitals, schools. 
they, they, the Republicans look at that big ball of cash out there, try to figure out any way possible they can get it in the hands of private business owners at the expense of all of us. And, and it ends up getting us a 10 times worse product as they, impro- they promise us it's going to work more efficiently. It never does. No, it never does. And look, I, you know, I, I talk about privatization all the time and these schemes that keep coming up from, as you pointed out, prisons and roads and water and sewer and electricity and, you know, all our utilities and all the things that in past years, uh, we used to do as a matter of course for ourselves. And now what we have is we have a system set up where private interest, corporate America, they get to the cash in and it's even getting worse than this. Um, our homes are being bought up by by giant hedge funds. Yeah, and, you you, know, you brought this up the, the the hedge fund control of American Homes Act of twenty twenty three. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I mean, you know, finally someone has realized that um, you know a handful of people are controlling a large market of the single family homes. Yeah, and and you know, for the average person to be able to go out and afford, you know, a reasonable home today. Is, is almost impossible. And this is where the, the frustration comes in. Because, you know, the sad reality is, is working people are getting screwed over more and more uh, as we, we talk about it. But uh, what you had is you had Jeff Markley, uh, who we've had on the program a couple of times, and Adam Smith of, of Washington. They came out with the End Hedge Fund Control of American Homes Act. Uh, and this idea is that within the next 10 years, the hedge funds who have bought up more than a quarter of the the single family homes in this country, uh, they're going to have to sell them all off within ten years, or you know the, the, there are massive fines and massive tax penalties and all kinds of stuff that go along with this. Because this is the bizarre part. You know, I was watching uh, what was his name, Alex Rodriguez, Alex Rodriguez, the baseball player yeah. from, from the Yankees. Uh, he, I saw an interview with him. He says he he himself and his little group own a hundred and fifty thousand doorknobs. That's how he put it. Uh, they weren't homes. They weren't family homes. They weren't places where people lived. Or they were doorknobs. And, and that, those people are paying him rent uh, and his group rent. And, you know, it's, it's what's going on in just about every neighborhood in this country. Uh, you have these groups that are buying up homes, and, and they look so innocuous. They see yeah. it's almost, almost you know, down home, handmade kind of signs, Bob's home buying. It's all backed by hedge fund money. It's all backed by billionaire money who are trying to take over and, well, get you to pay more. Because, hey, look at how much rents have been jacked up. Yep. Do you think that just happened? No, a large driver of that is these people want more money. They're greedy. It never ends. And this is why I love Bob Casey, the senator from my state, who's been doing these reports on greedflation, pointing out the fact that corporate America has been screwing us over this whole pandemic while mega morons are going, it's Joe Biden's fault. No, no. It's, it's who we knew it was from the beginning. Yeah. It's the corporate profiteers who, in their shareholder meetings, were actually bragging about how much they were screwing over consumers. Wow. It's, well, and you, you brought the home thing. I remember there was a friend of mine, they, they had their house bought, and they thought it was a couple. It was like Ma- Mary and Bob Watson. And yep. when they got to the signing for the sale, it was Mary and Bob Watson LLC, which was owned by another thing. They, the, the company had presented them as just a couple 
buying the house and then they found out, oh, no, it's not a couple. It's a corporation. Yep. And and they, they'll trick you anyway, but you know, you're, you're spot on. And one other thing, too, if I may, it's not inflation if every company is getting record profits. That's just plain good old-fashioned greed, that you yep. cannot have inflation and record profits at the same time. Those two things do not work together. It's greed. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah, uh, Rick. It's 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 always a pleasure. I'm glad we have you on in the eight o'clock hour. You're you're bringing you're fighting the f- good fight. You're bringing the good information, and and, and God bless you on that one. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate the time today. Everyone, listen to his show at eight o'clock tonight. And uh, happy holidays, Rick. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you again. Talk to you soon, Rick Smith. Uh, the Rick Smith Show, eight o'clock tonight. Uh, make sure you're listening. It's you will be smarter. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. Now he's talking to Rick, man. Dude is righteous, man. Dude is righteous. And and he does bring up the point. It's frustrating that uh, there is... <laughs> There's just not more progressive voices out there, man, because it's in, it is the majority of people in this country believe in the left. And so, yeah, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. So I've got what seems to be big freaking news about the story we talked about. I don't know if you were here, Patrick, yesterday. Were you here when we talked about the ATM, the the truck guy with the ATM, and they they tried to drag the truck uh, the ATM away on the truck? I think it was Tuesday we talked mm-hmm. about that. Do you remember we were talking about this? This was a gang out of Texas. Remember that? Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that, mm-hmm. that 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 and this is like an mo across the country. Yeah. Well, this might not have been a copycat. Four Texans partnering with a Twin Cities cohort to lasso a Roseville Bank's ATM filled with thousands of dollars in cash and yank it from its mooring with a pickup truck, according to the charges filed late on Wednesday. Police say the FBI is now looking into Tuesday's ultimately failed heist because it bears a striking resemblance to crimes committed elsewhere in the U.S. by the Texas Bank-based hook-and-chain gang. And once again, a reminder, we're talking about the fact that these guys are from Texas. This is not the first rodeo for one of the defendants in this case, Christopher Merchant, 23, of Houston. He pled guilty to being among several others who targeted two banks' ATMs in Tampa in July under nearly identical circumstances. Merchant was sentenced to federal court for 18 months in prison. Wait a minute, you steal ATMs and you only get 18 months? Okay. He was given nine months. Okay. Served time after his arrest, and then he was released once his term was up. He was on court-ordered supervised release at the time the ATM assaulted Roseville. How's that going there? Court-ordered supervised release, and he's out there stealing ATMs. Along with merchant charged in Ramsey County District Court to theft and property damage were fellow Houstonians Larry Gill, 23, Kenneth Brown, 23, Leonard Williams, 25, and Decorious Durham, 22, of St. Paul. All five men remain jailed in lieu of $50,000 in bail ahead of their court appearance on Thursday. Court records do not yet list an attorney for any of them. I would boot that 50 k up. It should be noted the criminal complaints against all five defendants read that there have been more than 50 thefts matching this method of operation since 2021. The complaint also pointed out the police believe Brown and Williams were in an SUV together staking out a credit union's ATM in St. Louis Park less than an hour before opting to go after the ATM outside of the Great Southern Bank in Roseville near County Road B2 in Fairview Avenue. Bank surveillance 
uh, video captured merchant taking a crowbar to the ATM. Once again, under supervised court supervised release. Uh, <laughs> not doing a good job. He took a crowbar to the ATM before he and Williams connected to chains attached to the nearly three ton pickup truck. The charge is red. Gill joined in trying to lift the ATM. Not the smartest guys, are they? But it fell over and never left the bank property, the charges continued. According to Wednesday's complaints, ATM alarms went off at about 4 a.m. outside the bank at the 1800 block of County Road B2. Police arrived as a pickup truck was leaving the bank's parking lot with brown driving. The officer activated his squad emergency lights in an effort to pull over the pickup, but Brown drove over the median and a large rock while trying to evade capture. He fled from the still-moving pickup, which soon crashed into a car and yellow bus. After a lengthy foot chase, Brown was arrested, and police soon determined that the pickup had been stolen two days earlier. Back at the bank, the heavily damaged ATM machine lying in the parking lot still holding more than $5,000 in cash. Thanks to the seizure of the hotel key. So this is how they got to the hotel. In this, And Brown's pocket was a hotel key for the key in. The officers went to the nearby key in. The clerk had said Brown's Texas identification was used to make the reservation. Four other men had just entered that room. Wow, I think you got him, guys. Nicely done. Police went to the room, ordered the men to exit with their hands up. The men closed and locked the door in response. It's a hotel door. It's not exactly Fort Knox. Then continued ignoring police demands that they surrender. A few hours later, police entered the room through a window and arrested Merchant, Gill, Durham, and Williams. I think we got them. I think we've got the hook and chain gang. Uh, that is, is that the right term? I want to make sure I say that correct here. The hook and chain gang, yeah. I, I think these are the guys. Been robbing ATMs, stealing ATMs across the country. Can I just say this? I don't think 18 months is going to do it this time. I think that if you can actually put these guys at the scene of any of these crimes, in the past, you charge them with all of the ATM thefts and be done with it. Likely be federal charges. You'll have other states who will Oh, yeah, banks. That's right. You know their uh, piece of the uh, the action on this. I think these guys are going to be going away. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Plus, you got a car theft in there. <laughs> Evading police car theft. Come on, man. Nicely done. Bravo. Right place, right time. But how about that? We might have caught a, nef- a nef- nefarious gang of fools right here in Minnesota. Enjoy prison. Happy holidays. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Let's take a break. Come on back. More when we do return. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. Indeed, indeed. 952-946-6205. The Minnesota Supreme Court ruled on Wednesday that parents seeking uh, uh, desegregated public schools do not have to prove that the state of Minnesota caused the segregation, but they do have to prove that racial imbalances in schools led to poor educational outcomes of students of color. The decision is great news for public school parents, said Dan Schulman, a lawyer representing the parents in the case. 
The case now returns to district court where the lawyers presented the public school parents will present evidence that segregation has led to poorer outcomes for students of color in Minneapolis and St. Paul. The link between racial and socioeconomic segregation and poor student outcomes is well established by research, said Will Stansel, a researcher at the University of Minnesota Law School and expert in education and discrimination. Segregation persists in K-12 through schools across the country. In the 2020-2021 school year, Minneapolis Public Schools had 23 schools with more than 80% school students of color. So once again, Minneapolis Public Schools, 23 schools with more than 80% students of color and 12 schools with fewer than 40% students of color. According to court filings, St. Paul Public Schools had 36 schools with at least 80% students of color and five schools with white students in the majority. The case is now eight years old and has followed a complex and winding legal road. Here's some questions answered. In 2015, a group of parents with children enrolled in Minneapolis and St. Paul Public Schools sued the state of Minnesota, arguing that segregation led to an unfair and substandard educational environment for students of color. The parents argued that the segregation and poorer outcomes violate the Minnesota Constitution. The Education Clause of the Minnesota Constitution guarantees the right to a general and uniform system of education that was thorough and efficient and is supported by sufficient and uniform funding and that it provides the adequate education for all students in Minnesota. The case almost settled out of court in 2021 when the parents of the Minnesota Department of Education agreed on a proposed bill that detailed plans and programs to improve educational outcomes for students in, uh, of color and students in poverty, but the bill did not pass the divided legislature, so the case continued in the courts. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this because part of this is the ripple effects of long-established racism, the redlining, and creating areas where minorities were allowed while traditionally wealthier, whiter communities were allowed and were, were thriving in other parts. It's interesting. You're talking about this with Minneapolis-St. Paul. I, I can say I live in the West Metro. There have been four different school districts in just the time my kids have been in the schools where this same issue happens where you have in 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 the suburbs it's a it's a it's kind of the the opposite but it still is a problem and what you'll have is you know in, in all these school districts and we'll just talk about the elementary schools for example the elementary schools, they'll be what they what, what people I knew referred to them as silver spoon schools. There's going to be the one elementary school which is clearly in the wealthiest part of the town, and it is you know you know it's got everything, all the bells and whistles. But even so, in the suburbs, most of the other school districts, the schools, the elementary schools within a certain school district, are going to be predominantly white. But then there is always generally in, in pretty much every school district, at least in the suburbs, one school that might not be a majority minority, but it is got a substantial amount of the minority students within the district at that one school. And I have seen school districts try to address this issue, particularly when they've had to close a school or they want to readjust their their 
education diagram, however they want to call it. And the outright rage, rage I have seen in these school districts come forth with the idea that how dare you allow those students into my school? It, it it's it's just it's the same thing. I mean, my kids, you know, when my before my kids started in their school, their one of the schools in the elementary schools that they the school that they would have gone to closed, and so they had to readjust the borders of the elementary schools. And we ended up going into a school district that was nowhere near our house. I mean, it was way far away, but and it and it had been predominantly a wealthy white school, and it indeed did pick up a lot of middle-class and some lower-class kids. And the exodus, the white flight from that school, how dare you? Now, I have talked over and over again how proud I was when I went out in my kid's playground. My son, I went to pick him up for a dental appointment or something one afternoon, and I went out in the playground, and I'm seeing him play with the other kids on the playground, and they were all having a good time. And you looked around, and it was white kids and black kids and Hispanic kids and Asian kids and and uh, you know had you know you know you know Christian kids and Muslim kids and and it was phenomenal. And I said, my God, this is what when I was a kid and they were talking about diversity. This was what I, and the kids didn't see it. The kids didn't see it. It was just the people they grew up with. It was phenomenal, absolutely wonderful. But that upsets a lot of people because this is kind of the ugly truth. And we all talk about diversity and equity and inclusion. And sometimes those things, because of closing a school or reshuffling a district and how it operates, that becomes a a big question because – There's a lot of people who say, well, those people should be in that school. Why do you want those people to come to this school? And this is part of the problem that we have with our society is that – and this is one of the reasons why I have a problem with open enrollment is that it – you know, you can always choose to move to any school district you want to. You know, that's as a matter of fact, it's law. You the, the the real estate agent has to tell you what school district your kid would be in. They have to tell you that. They can't. There's there's no dishonesty there. That's against the law. They can't misrepresent their the the property they're selling. So a person can move to whatever school district they want to. It's the fact that we allow people who will tell you a million different reasons why they want to leave a school district. But the reality, you can tell, the real reality is is they're somewhat concerned about a slightly higher than normal minority enrollment, that that is the reason why they're leaving. And they're generally going and open enrolling into an even whiter school, an even more, a less diverse school district. So, you know, it, it, this, is, this is a problem. And I commend people that want to try to f- fix this problem. But I think what you end up doing is when you do this, it, it almost yeah, – when you have a substantial portion of the school either open enrolling 
or diverting public funds for that school into charter schools or other places. I, I do. It does kind of make you wonder about is is can the system be fixed under this level? And maybe it's just we need to step back and re- revisit the whole thing. But I, I, you know, it is you know this is an undeniable issue. It is an undeniable issue. Uh, Minnesota Supreme Court ruled Wednesday that the parents do not have. Now, once again, in this case, primarily deals with Minneapolis and St. Paul. The Minnesota Supreme Court ruled Wednesday that the parents do not have to prove the state of Minnesota intentionally segregated schools, although I, I don't know if that's necessarily that would be too hard for them to do. But instead, they just have to prove that the segregation is a substantial factor in causing the lower achievement of students of color. And once again, I, you can make an argument. Is it really the school's fault or is it the redlining that happened where the banks and the housing market and the wealthy white members of the community pushed certain minority groups only into certain areas and the repercussions of that are still in effect today? And the school district is just trying to draw a school district that covers that area and that, that's the way. That being said, I'm not trying to make excuses for them because yeah, it, it, it's kind of apparent some of this was, well, let's make sure, like I said, surgical scalpel. Let's make sure that this, these houses here are there and these houses are not in there and that sort of thing. I think some of that's going on. But, I mean, a lot of these school districts were drawn a long time ago. Lawyers for the public school parents said they should have no problem proving that segregation contributes to poor student outcomes, Stancil said. The linkage between racial segregation and poor student outcomes is overwhelming. It shows up in every study that has ever been done on a large level of the subject. Writing for the Economic Policy Institute in 2020, for instance, uh, educational economist Emma Garcia summarized the data. When black students have the opportunity to attend schools with lower concentrations of poverty and larger shares of white students, they perform better on average on standard tests. Shulman said if he succeeds in providing segregation Proving segregation is harming students of color in the Twin Cities. The trial could begin as soon as a year from now. At trial, the district court will rule on whether the state violated the state's constitution and the education clause. The court would then direct the legislature to implement solutions to correct the issue. Natalie Hudson, who became the state's first black chief justice in October, is the only black justice on the court. She dissented. Hudson agreed with most of the majority's opinion, including the court's conclusion that the public school parents did not need to prove that the state intended to violate the Constitution in order to sue them. She disagreed with one important aspect of the majority decision, that the parents must prove that segregation is a substantial factor leading to an inadequate education. Hudson wrote that there is no meaningful distinction between intentional and unintentional segregation, and that ultimately all segregation comes back to government policies. Like I said, I mean, you might you might want to give the school districts an out because what really started this was the government policies that allowed redlining, where you basically shuffled certain minority groups into certain parts of any given city. But the reality is it's still a segregation. It still is. And regardless of how you got there, you got to still fix the problem. She laid out evidence in her dissent pointing to racially restrictive covenants and discriminatory housing finance programs as government policy that impacted housing. And therefore, school composition to this day should be reminded that it was, what was it, 1960? Was the U.S. Supreme Court decision on the covenants in Edina? Was it 1960? Supreme Court case where basically they were, you know, you couldn't sell to a minority or a, a, I think a Jewish person 
and they were sued and they said, no, those are illegal. And by the way, you should check your, if you have a house, you should check your house because some of that stuff is still on your books. Now, it's not anything that can be enforced in any capacity, thank God, but you probably want to get that fixed on your abstract. Just an FYI. Um, Hudson wrote that parents could, should not have to demonstrate that segregation harms students of color. I would hold that the system of de facto segregated schools is an inadequate education, Hudson wrote. Her reasoning echoed the words of Brown v. Board of the Education, which ostensibly ended segregated schools nearly seven decades ago by U.S. Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren. Does segregation in children in, of children in public schools solely on the basis of race, even though the physical facilities of other tangible factors may be equal, deprive the children of the minority group of equal educational opportunities? We believe that it does. Schumann called uh, Hudson's dissent a beacon and a landmark of the American legal system because it is. I mean, I, I agree with her. I don't think you necessarily, if there's segregation there, regardless of where it came from, tolerating it today is not a good idea. And just saying, yeah, I don't think you can have the plan of, well, it's the way it's always been. And it'll be interesting because you do have the Democrats in charge. But if this ruling eventually comes down and say the the Republicans get the House, they're going to have to fix this. And it'll be interesting to see a bunch of people who can't stand the idea of public education or the idea of minorities in the Twin Cities have to come up with an effective education system that helps them. That's not basically, oh, we'll just ship all the money to charter schools. Because I have a feeling that that's kind of one of those things where they might eventually try to do that, that that would be their solution. We'll just privatize the whole thing and be done with it. The reality is is that there are a lot of problems out there with these schools, and you are not going to basically be able to fix them. And regardless of whether it's in Minneapolis-St. Paul and you have the majority of schools are – with a heavy minority population and only a handful of schools that have been allowed to be primarily white population. Or it's the suburban schools where it's the majority of schools are a white population, but there's always that one school where all the minorities always seem to end up going. You can't have a system like that. And you're doing a disservice to this next generation who is going to grow up in the most diverse version of this world we've ever seen. So you, you should probably try to start figuring this stuff out now and stop hanging your hat on, well, it's the way it's always been because that's not always the best way. And no matter of fact, most of the time, it's absolutely the worst way to do things, if I can be honest. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Let's take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show. Should we do holiday music, Patrick? Do you think we should, you know, should I get some holiday song, songs in here next week? I'm okay with that. All right. We'll try to get a few in here because it's always nice. I love, I've got some really good holiday music. I really love holiday music. So maybe I'll see if I can figure out a, yeah, I'll get, I'll get some, I'll download them onto a zip drive. I don't know what that means, but I'll do it. Uh, <laughs> figure it out. I'm an old man. Where's the CD? What do you mean floppy disks won't get this done? <laughs> I'm going to bring in albums. I'm going to bring in albums, and you and Brett are just going to stare at them like, what is this? 
I think the problem would be more will our CD players be able to play them properly? I'm going to say no. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, those CD players salute to you. You're certain we respect your service, but. Uh, remember last hour I was talking about the seventh circle of hell. I mean, excuse me, Wisconsin, and how basically they're they, you know they've tumbled down the rankings when it comes to education and and healthcare and stuff. Thanks a lot to Speaker of the Assembly over there, the massive jackass that is Robin Voss. I remember that I was talking about that last hour. Good stuff. Go podcast it. It's good there. Uh, it's not without evidence here. The approach to the end of the year, United Health Foundation is out with its annual look at the health and wellness of America. The 34th edition of the American Health Rankings report looks at 87 different measures from 28 sources, including the Census Bureau, the Centers for Disease Control. One of the biggest findings this year report rates for eight chronic conditions, all increased to their highest levels in the report's history. This includes conditions like cancer, diabetes, heart disease, Mental health conditions like depression. I, I go on to the truth is I'm, I'm not surprised by any of those. Um, you know, especially, um, yeah, not at all, not in the least bit. Uh, this has been a significant impact on many Americans, said Dr. Abigail Miller, chief medical officer at United Healthcare. Uh, in 2022, 11% of adults had three or more of these chronic conditions. This represents over 29 million adults. And who are needing care, having to manage prescription medication use and probably having negative impacts on the quality of life. One major positive measure on the report, almost 93% of U.S. households now have access to health, high-speed Internet, which means most of the country can access health information online and telehealth services, which is a good thing. In Minnesota, we finished, by the way, number five on this list. Number five. We actually finished number one with women's and children's health and number four with senior health. So, yeah, but I'm leaving and going to Florida. Bon voyage. <laughs> I'll let their healthcare system be a surprise. In Minnesota, the report listed three health strengths, low household food insecurity, high prevalent, which, by the way, the Republicans won the state want to undo with the uh, you know, free school lunch program, high prevalence of uh, high, school, uh, high school completion, and a low prevalence of insufficient sleep. Well, that's nice. Uh, the health weaknesses for the state of Minnesota, places we need to improve, high racial disparity and premature death rates, high prevalence of excessive drinking, Wisconsin, you're leaking onto us, and low prevalence of having a dedicated health care provider. Uh, so, you know, that's just, and I think the telehealth, I think the the internet stuff will help out with that. No, it's it's another positive report here for us. Uh, Wisconsin is down like, what, 24, 25 in those. It's not close. As a matter of fact, the other states around us all not even close. I mean, I think if anything, they're getting advantage of us. How much, I mean, seriously, I'm dead serious. How much are those states benefited by, I mean, look at North and South Dakota. The majority of their population lives near Minnesota. How many of them are coming over into Minnesota to get health care done in Iowa, in Wisconsin? It, you know, you got, you know, get superior. I mean, we, we, we help. And, you know, it, it, how much are we helping these inadequate states get better results? I'm going to say some. <laughs> Definitely. You want to know the truth is I'm, I stand by that. I, I, I think somewhat we are helping these other states. Uh, it is a good thing. Now, once again, prepare yourself, Republicans. It's a hellscape. No one's living here. Oh, you're precious. You are just precious. Um, you can leave at any point. Seriously, I, I don't want to tell you 
where some of the, your 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 states that you guys keep talking about how much you you love. I, I don't want to tell you where they are, uh, you know, ranking on the poll, but they're they're not close. They're not anywhere near where the rest of us are. And so, yeah, you 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 know, get your uh, Alabamas and Oklahomas and New Mexicos and Floridas and. Georgia's and yeah, they're not doing too well. But hey, no, you go, you go, you go, and you have fun. You you enjoy that down there and see see how how well it goes for you. And Texas and good luck with all that. Uh, we're back tomorrow. Until then, see ya.